All right. Somebody stepped on my line. Somebody <laughs> stepped on the line big time. Although I will say that the, the, the person who says that in the song does sound like Sam Sam the Tech Man a little bit. It does. All right. All right. Hello and welcome to Misfits on Vinyl. My name is Hungover and I'm a little Spencer Stryker today. Uh, I'm an actor, comedian, and one of your hosts. Uh, my name is Aaron. I am also one of your hosts. And uh, yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded. Because uh, last weekend I was in uh, the big old L.A. Lethbridge, Lethbridge, Alberta, <laughs> doing a doing a little CBC taping. That the was mecca, the mecca for fine arts. Mecca for fine arts. It's weird that it is one of the places where there's professional theater in Western Canada. <laughs> the uh, Windy City. The Windy City. Yeah. Oh boy, a place where all the Mormons live. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it was fun. It was nice. fun. Uh, really. Excuse me. Really good shows. Um, on the taping night, it went really well. Uh, the one thing, my God, they hated my suicide jokes. Holy mm. fuck. The old people that watched the CBC <laughs> that came on out did not like it. Uh, they, they gave me nothing. And then, uh, like, all my other jokes were killing. Mm. But those ones died. Like, they, they really didn't like it. And then at one point, I was like, you know, you guys can calm down. These are jokes. I'm not going to go jump off your bridge or anything. <laughs> <laughs> They're one bridge. <laughs> They're one bridge. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was good. Uh, uh, the uh, shows were fun. Guy came up to us afterwards, and he said to Brittany and Forrest, "You guys were great." And then he turned to me and he said, "Wow, those jokes need to be workshopped." Eh? And then he walked away, and I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and like, it just hurt so bad. And then literally a minute later. This like lady came up to me and she was like, "You are my favorite. I love your humor." I was like, "Ah, oh, the universe is in balance again." So, so what'd you learn in Lethbridge that comedy is subjective? Comedy is subjective, yeah. and old people should take like my jokes and die. <laughs> <laughs> Corona tried. Corona but it didn't tried. Succeed completely. Did yeah. not succeed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah, and a lot of people came out for Britney. Nice. Britney's a name poll now. Nice. That's yeah. good. There was like there was like twenty people that came out uh like each show to just see Britney, which mm. is great. We had one Misfits on Vinyl fan. Oh, there we go. That That's was really cool. cool. I forget their name now. But anyways. <laughs> Shout out to you. <laughs> Shout out to you. Our Lethbridge fan. Our Lethbridge fan. Uh thanks for coming on the Saturday night. You should have came on the Friday during the taping. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, that was cool, man. That's I'm glad you had a good time for the old C B C for the old C B C They said your name I say I was putting it in the chat all the time. I listened to their the radio on my way to work in the morning and i heard spencer's name on the radio like four times <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh that was and really you know good. what it wasn't an amber alert no it wasn't it was just yeah <laughs> yeah it wasn't an amber alert or like a suspicious person's report <laughs> yeah. no it was just uh it was just you know shouting out your body of work shouting out the commodity yeah yeah so like yeah the, they said your name a couple times and i was like oh that's cool that is pretty like, cool i was like a proud dad Aww. um yeah, so I had a little smile come to my face and and like wish I never left you. There was a when you were a child. Eye. Yeah, I was like, oh, I was thinking about all the checks I could be cashing in the future, dude. I um, I was just thinking about the milk that you said you were gonna bring home. <laughs> yeah, I've, I still haven't still, drank milk since I'm that. Still day. working on it. Sorry, it's the great milk shortage of the past twenty twenty five <laughs> years. It's been really hard to find a good good gallon of milk. Yeah, well, it's hard to find somebody that's lactating enough to fill a gallon. Yeah, it's true. That's that's a lot of milk. That's the lifelong search. That's, that's what the I've, lifelong that's, search. That's what I've been going for. I just put the titty in the top of the milk thing and I squirt it in. Yeah. I wasn't expecting you to actually like act it out, but I, I appreciate needed to it. act it out. We do have visual uh, listeners. Speaking of the mother's milk, shall we crack our beers? Yes, uh, let's do that. <laughs> we have uh from our 
unofficial uh, unofficial <laughs> official sponsor cabin cabin brewing simple pleasures it's an english dark mild and you know what i like that it is only 3.8 percent alcohol uh sam <laughs> did not fuck us this week <laughs> sam has been bringing us some very heavy beers tried to balance it out this week Ooh. you know what that makes sense i uh i appreciate the balance it looks good oh that's nice oh wow Oh, that fucks. I, I got like, a little in my mustache. I like a good dark beer. I do, too. I uh, I had a, a coffee stout last night. I don't know why those never are great. That's not really one to mix in when you're, like, you know, having a session. No, it's true. I probably shouldn't have. No. I, uh, uh, I, guess, uh, I guess the reason I'm hungover, I went to a wedding yesterday. Yes. It was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, but there's a few things I need to bring up about weddings. One... <laughs> Uh, I'm not a fan of weddings, more of a fan of funerals. I'll say that. Uh, I feel I feel a little less bad uh, at funerals than I do at weddings sometimes. Second thing, there's a lady that was sitting behind me. We're in, like, the second to back row. Yeah. I had my hat on. I was also the only person with a fancy dress hat, right? Which, nice. That's fair, whatever. But I, we're in Alberta. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the lady behind me was getting pissed off because she couldn't fucking see past my hat. <laughs> but... The lady in front of me, bobblehead Jane, just fucking like this the whole goddamn time. So I had to keep moving mm. to see what was happening on the, <laughs> nice. the front. Yeah, because it's like you're at the hockey game, but it's like people standing still. You're like, oh, oh, oh. yeah, <laughs> I got to gotta catch all the action. Like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, so uh, that was that was annoying. Oh, that's fun. But the, the bartender was uh, playing a little game called uh, let's let's just get Spencer fucking <laughs> let's get everybody fucked. Up. Oh, my God. Open bar. First of yeah. all, which is, that's dangerous at a wedding. I feel like that that makes it a little little risky. Uh, but what was really funny, I asked for rye on the rocks, and the guy gave me rye with one rock, and the, I swear to God, it was like six ounces of rye. I was like, Jesus. Well, this is my drink for the next hour, I guess. I'm surprised you're alive today because by the by, by the like the track record of your drinks so far, you've mentioned that they sound like they don't mix. Yeah, I also Ryan had red wine, coffee stuff, <laughs> red wine. Yep. Um, there was uh, prosecco. Ooh, there was some prosecco. Yeah, prosecco. <laughs> yes, prosecco. I know what it is. Yeah, prosecco. Cold. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And what else did you drink <laughs> besides Prosecco, red wine, coffee stout, and rye on the rocks? Did you mix in a water in there? <laughs> I did drink a lot okay, of water, that's actually. Good, that's yeah, good. No, I did that's probably why you're alive today. You know what else I drank? What? Prosecco. Nice. All right, let's cheers. So <laughs> let's we can move cheers. on from this part of this conversation. Also, uh, we got to shout out the Vitos. <laughs> yes, uh, of course. Uh, doing the intro song. They're going to be on the pod next week. Mm-hmm. We uh, got uh, lots of exciting guests. We got on. lots of exciting guests. I am super stoked. Uh, uh, I watched uh, one of our guests, Red Richardson. I watched his special last night. Mm-hmm. It came out. I watched it when I was very drunk, uh, but it was very funny still. Nice. Uh, there's a few really good jokes in there I can't wait to bring up to him. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's very much like me he's a he's a dark humor kind of guy but he's a little more dry because nice he's a brit nice you know those brits i do with their dryness <laughs> I'm, a, I'm aware of the, the british it's weird that Believe the british have a dry sense of humor when their country's so wet mm, that's true they do get a, quite a bit of rain they get a lot of rain yeah they're like vancouver but if vancouver was an island yeah and british and british <laughs> but i mean technically british columbia is close enough and it does know. have vancouver island yeah they do have vancouver island yeah which did you know that's all like almost the same size as the UK? 
Really? Yeah. I Did know you that. know that you could fit all of the UK between Edmonton and our like southern border with Montana? Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Not a big country. But I know you can get like across the UK in like a good 12 hours. Maybe, yeah. Maybe less. Yeah, probably yeah. less. Yeah. I'm sure if you walked, it would take you like at least three hours. Yeah. It was the one that got swam around it. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, he swam around the UK. And he got like, he was in the salt water for so long that his tongue like fucking blew up like huge. Whoa. Yeah. Really interesting. I watch. wonder what that would have tasted like if you ate his tongue. Yeah, it's a more interesting watch than what we're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. With that being said, let's get into the podcast. Yes, this uh, is uh, this is one of the ones I wrote. This is one of the ones Aaron yeah. wrote. I uh, I did not actually read any of the so things it, this it, week. Expect excessive information. Excessive information mm-hmm. and. Uh, Useless things coming out of my mouth. Yeah. That's basically what, <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what it is. Remember the Strokes episode? It'll yeah. be that, but uh, more subdued because yes. I'm a lot hungover. <laughs> yeah, and you, you're you more familiar with this, this album, I that's think, true. Than, than the Strokes one, so... Yeah, there was there was quite a few songs that I recognized from this album. So, mm-hmm. every episode on Misfits on Vinyl, we pick an album. Usually it's one of our favorites, or it's a popular one, and then we... Uh, Go through the history of the album and the artist, and uh, this week, we got... Are you ready to do the magic? Yeah. But uh, Towns Van Zandt's day third album, Towns Van Zandt. Yes. <laughs> his <laughs> debut was, third album. His yeah. debut third album. Uh, self-titled album, which he's got a couple, but this is... Uh... This is his first self-titled album. First self-titled album. Mm-hmm. This is the one where he's sitting on the chair in the kitchen. Yes. So this is his third studio album. Yes. Uh, it's uh, genre is described as country folk and progressive country or sad yeehaw. Yeah, I put that in. I saw a comment on a YouTube video that's like, it's sad yeehaw. Which, and I was you like, know what? It very much is. It is sad yeehaw. I will say this. What I thought was really interesting was it rem- it, like it because it's such like it's such of that like Americana mm-hmm. sort of thing. But it sounds so much like John Denver's music with a little bit of Corb Lund's vocals mm. is what it, it reminded me of. Like it, it was very similar chord progressions. I was yeah, I thought it was a really cool album. Yeah, no, it's a very. I mean, it's of that time, like mm-hmm. John Denver's time, late '60s. I think it's 1969. This album was 1969. Released. You're yeah, right. Yeah. July 1969 was when it was recorded, mm-hmm. and it was released September. Of 1969 by Poppy Records. By Poppy Records. Poppy Records. (laughs) I got a I got a bit of a weird memory. So like like we did with the Strokes episode, I'll certainly fill in information as we go. Um, But uh, yeah, no, it's his third album, 1969. Um, One thing interesting about this album specifically is he re-recorded four of his tracks from his first album. yeah, I think I put a little thing in, and we'll get to it. You can start reading through, but um, so one thing that's kind of cool is he did the vocals, the uh, guitar, and the violin, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty impressive. What I think is really funny is the violin is very subtle on this album. Yeah, there's only a few places where you really notice a fiddle. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I thought was really cool is each track had a different. It, this is just something I picked up on. Each track had a different instrument that was only on that one track. And it would be like it would be featured, but very subtly, like yeah. harmonica or like the fucking uh, trumpet. There's uh, one. There's one song with a little bit of drums in it that yeah. comes in out a, a little bit out of nowhere. But uh, it's like so funny because it's so subtly layered in there. It's certainly a stripped down album. Um, 
Towns Van Zandt's very famous for his finger picking style of guitar playing. Um, and then, of course, his lyrics and his songwriting is really why people um, gravitate towards him. He's a he's a, you know, a song uh, like a songwriter songwriter. Same as like, you know, MF Dooms, your rappers, <laughs> you know, your favorite rappers, favorite rapper. Yeah, yeah. Same sort of thing. So like the Bob Dylan's of the world, the Willie Nelson's, all those guys view TVZ as, you know, the the man when it comes to songwriting. Which Do you know is what cool. you call a guitar playing chicken? What? Finger picking good. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to finger pick up a gun and (laughs) leave it at that. (laughs) Okay, so he's got poetic lyrics that contain uh, overarching themes of depression sprinkled in with working life, reflections of his past, past relationships, and contemplation of his future. Um, what I think is funny is one of my favorite songs is the third song on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the one about the, the train robbers. Yeah. That is such a fucking cool mm-hmm. song. And it, it reminded me so much of like the, 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 you know, uh, Johnny Cash style of like, uh, singing a song that tells a story. Yeah. Um, or like Marty Robbins in a way where you're listening to uh, a story and you can, you can pick it apart and it, it paints such a visual in your head as to mm-hmm. what's happening. Um, Okay, uh, includes four re-recordings on previous yep. tracks of his album. Uh, uh, Waiting Around to Die, which is the song I just mentioned, mm-hmm. I'll Be Here in the Morning, and Quicksilver Daydreams of Maria. He was unhappy with the original recordings, so uh, he just did it again. Yeah, he said there was too much like production. I can't remember the exact terms he said, but yeah, he didn't like the, the original recordings. Waiting Around to Die is actually the first song he ever wrote. Really? Which is very interesting, yeah, because it's one of his most famous and probably arguably one of his best songs. Um, but, yeah, it's one of the first songs he ever wrote. I would say that one and I'll Be Here in the Morning are my two favorites yeah. from the album. I like Colorado Girl. Oh, yeah, Colorado well. Girl is really um, good. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, the most of this episode, like, I wrote quite a bit about his life because that's kind of the myth of him. Um, he's a, like a cult legends type of singer so his life and his life story is very interesting and that kind of you know to to today because in most of his life he wasn't famous and he wasn't you know a big name but now he's kind of come back um over the years and his life is really the interesting part of this whole thing like his music obviously is very good but the 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 actual story of him is what what draws me to his music personally yeah yeah um he's got kind of this outsider sort of perspective on life and kind of lives on the beaten path and doesn't, you know, follow the regular conventions of, you know, society and things like that. It's very interesting. So. Man, I, I love people like that. They're <laughs> fucking just interesting as hell. Um, okay, so this was produced by uh, Kevin Eggers yep. and Jim Malloy. Uh, Eggers is Towns' longtime collaborator and manager for Towns and worked with him uh, consistently his whole life. James Edward Malloy is a recording engineer who worked with such artists as Elvis Presley, Duke Ellington, Johnny Cash... Henry Mancini mm-hmm. and Malaya Jackson. So he actually won. He won an Oscar for a Mancini movie. Yeah, really. Yeah, for for scoring a movie. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I can't remember the name of the movie, but I thought that was a little interesting fact as well. That is an interesting fact. I love that. Okay, mm-hmm. the cover photograph was taken by Sol Mendek in the kitchen of Poppy Records. Art. Uh, well, fuck. Sorry, in, did I type that? In the kitchen of Poppy Records, <laughs> artwork designer. Poppy Records artwork designer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Fuck. sorry. Okay, no, no, no. That was my fault. I didn't realize. I, I'm just... It's a continuous sentence. Um, okay, so uh, artwork designer Milton Glaser. Uh, Glaser tackled the final design 
excuse me, of the album and is famous for designing the I Love New York logo and founding New York Magazine. Wow. Yeah, yeah so he's like the, you know, the I Heart New York. That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not that creative of a logo, but yeah, he's a famous designer. It's which so is, funny because that's now used in every single fucking titty. Yeah. In titty. Every <laughs> city. <laughs> city. Uh, yeah. It's, it's used in every titty. Yeah, correct. Uh, <laughs> uh, one thing too cool, I think I had it at the start of this little section there. It was recorded in a barn. In Mount Juliet, Tennessee, <laughs> Mount Juliet, Tennessee, Tennessee. <laughs> uh, which is another titty um, <laughs> outside of Nashville, which is a great titty. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the capital titty. Yeah, it's a cap. It's the capital titty of Tennessee. But actually, I think Knoxville is the capital titty of Tennessee. I don't know though. Is Knoxville, the capital titty. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love it when Spencer can't speak properly. <laughs> Ma- Massachusetts. <laughs> Throwback. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Regain your composure. <laughs> Choose your fighter. <laughs> the album cover features Towns sitting in the kitchen uh, with his hands leaning on his uh, on his head. Or with his head leaning on his hands. Fuck me. Can you do the reading? <laughs> yeah, episode? I can read it. Maybe. Okay, fuck. I'm gonna I'm gonna join in and be you this I episode. Eyes, so I'm putting it right here. Okay. Um, <laughs> the album cover features Towns singing in the kitchen with his head leaning on his hands. Bio- uh, biographer uh, John Cruth observes Van Zant now appears withdrawn. Here he sits resigned. Head in hand, <laughs> in a perfect painted, <laughs> a perfectly painted kitchen where everything is neatly arranged uh, like a dollhouse. Uh, some fans refer to this album as the Kitchen Album. Um, and one thing I said earlier, but it was actually a quote directly from Chris Christofferson, <laughs> which is which is a great name. Uh, he described Van Zandt as a songwriter-songwriter. Wow. Um, which is cool. Which is also really cool because Chris Christofferson, uh, for those that don't know, was one of the outlaw country greats. Mm-hmm. He's like basically one of the people who redefined the genre. Um, he doesn't nearly get as much credit as uh, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, Merle Haggard, but he was up there with them. And Star and, is Born, too. Yeah. I, like, I like his music, actually. I really like his yeah. music. And also, uh, uh, The Highwaymen. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a part of The Highwaymen. That's one of the greatest like super groups of all time. So let's get into about the artist. I'm having a tough time scrolling on your computer. <laughs> about the artist, uh, John, John Towns Van Zant was born March 7th, 1944 in Fort Worth, Texas. Ooh. He was born into a wealthy family. Uh, Van Zant was the great, great grandson of Isaac Van Zant, a prominent leader in the Republic of Texas. Ooh, and I the great, great he was going to have discovered gravity. No, it's about to get a little iffy, though. He was <laughs> a great, great grandnephew of Kebler Miller Van Zant, a major in the Confederate army and one, and one of the founders of fort worth oh no <laughs> uh towns van zandt's father harris harris van zandt he was a corporate lawyer um his career required the family to move around several times during the 50s and 60s um in 1952 the family relocated from fort worth to midland texas for six months then they moved to billings montana and in the following years they lived in boulder colorado followed by minnesota and then you know they what? Were back to houston shout out to billings yeah, I've been to Billings. I like, not, I like Montana. It's not a bad little town. I yeah. like Montana in general. Montana's so, a good state. Christmas in 1956, I believe they were in Montana at this time. Ooh. Town's father gave him a guitar. 
uh, which he practiced while wandering the countryside, which is like, you know, a very <laughs> classic thing to do. I bet he had a piece of straw in his mouth as well, and he was like, you know, fiddling He's the guitar. walking down the fucking dirt roads. Uh, but he saw something on TV, which, you know, he thought was really cool. He saw Elvis playing on the Ed Sullivan show. Um, he said uh, in an interview, he said... Those hips gave me a boner? <laughs> he said... Uh, Seeing Elvis Presley on the Ed Sullivan show was the starting point for me becoming a guitar player. I just thought Elvis had all the money in the world, all the Cadillacs, all the girls, and all he did was play the guitar and sing. That made a big impression on me. He's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I can get pussy. He's, yeah. like, he's, like, he's like 10 years old. He's like, oh, wicked. He's like, <laughs> These girls. He's like, wait, if I can pick this guitar really yeah. well, then I can see some titties. So Towns was a good, good student in school. Um, he was found to have a high IQ. And his parents kind of began grooming him to become a lawyer or a senator. So there was a little bit of pressure on him mm-hmm. as a kid because he, he was found to be a great student. In 62, he enrolled at the University of Colorado, Boulder. Um, during his time, though, it didn't go well. What was he in? What was uh, he it doesn't didn't say. Okay. Uh, but he, so he was probably like me, open studies? Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> And similar to you, he was uh, drinking heavily, uh, and he began he began writing poetry, and he spent a lot of hours listening to records by Lightning Hopkins and Hank Williams. Ooh! In the spring of his second year, his parents flew to Boulder, Colorado, to bring to- Towns back to Houston. Um, worried about his binge drinking and his episodes of depression, um, they admitted him into the University of Texas's medical branch in Galveston. <laughs> I told you there's a lot of information. Wow, so just like me, he yeah. had depression and was a genius. Where he was diagnosed with manic depression. Um, this is where it gets kind of sad. He received three months of insulin shock therapy. Um, so that's where they overload you with insulin and actually put you into a temporary coma. Um, and they were doing what that for three fuck? months straight. And he suffered um, long-term memory loss and a bunch of other mental health issues because of this time. Jesus Christ. After that, in in hindsight, his mother said that it was the biggest regret of her life that she allowed that treatment to happen to you him. You fucking think? Yeah. I mean, it but was it's a- also sad because, like, back then, how many how many of these medical treatments were, like, yeah. it, it, you know, recommended? Mm-hmm. It was, it was, I mean, it was done by a university accredited medical, Yeah, you know, this is like four years after they were like, lobotomy is not a good idea. Yeah. So you know? after, after his insulin shock therapy, he attempted to join the air force, but was rejected. Um, because this is the diagnosis from the doctor, uh, the, the diagnosis that labeled him an acute manic depressive that has made minimal adjustments to life. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so <laughs> he didn't get into the Air Force. So in 65, he was accepted into the University of Houston's pre-law program to go to law school. It's too bad he wasn't joining the Japanese Air Force at that time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they would have taken him. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. Um, so he, Harbor, anyone? He did Pearl a little Harbor? bit of schooling for that. But in uh, after about a year of schooling, his dad died. Died in 1966, um, and he decided to quit school, go on the road, and start playing music. Um, he was inspired by a bunch of singer-songwriters at the time, Bob Dylan, Hank Williams, all those guys. Um, so he started playing regular shows in the Jester Lounge in Houston for 10 bucks a night. Um, and that, that lounge closed, and he began regularly performing at Sand Mountain Coffee House, where he lived sometimes, too. <laughs> uh, he would live in the back room. Uh, during this time, he was primarily performing covers, songs uh, mostly by Bob Dylan and a couple other singer-songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, is a kind of a weird thing. He's got a weird range of um, 
inspirations for his music. He cited Lightning Hopkins, Bob Dylan, Hank Williams, uh, Muddy Waters, The Rolling Stones, Blind Willie McTell, Tchaikovsky, <laughs> uh, and Jefferson Airplane as having a major impact on his music. Wow. Okay. You know what's funny, though, is like if you listen to Jefferson Airplane, you can hear a lot of like mm-hmm. a, a, the similar uh, like a sound. So he seems to be like the type of guy that's just taken in a lot of music and I guess the type of artist that finds inspiration really anywhere mm-hmm. um which i think does reflect in his music um so we're gonna jump ahead a little bit so it's kind of like it's kind of like me as a comedian yeah i take inspiration from everything yeah you're like oh that was a funny poop i'm gonna talk about I'm it for the next three years that. yeah yeah like the, the <laughs> i get that it I, I pooped out popcorn kernels <laughs> yeah it was yeah. like a shotgun blast into the <laughs> into the toilet bowl lovely lovely I, I killed that in front of my fraternity's 50th anniversary <laughs> dinner yeah i'm sure that went well too. they did not like it yeah i was it gonna was say very not well received <laughs> uh, so the years uh, between 68 and 73 was his most prolific era he released six albums during that time wow for, for the sake of the song our mother our mother of the mountains towns van zant which we're talking about today delta mountain views high low and in between in the late great town van zant Ooh. 75 he was uh this is a the clip i sent you he was featured prior uh is a tough word too. Prominently in the documentary film Heartworm Highways, uh, his segment of the film was shot in his rundown trailer, where Van Zant was shown drinking straight whiskey in the middle of the day, uh, <laughs> shooting and playing with guns, and performing the songs "Waiting Around to Die" in Poncho and Lefty. Which also, it's funny that he was the uh, was he not the writer of Poncho and Lefty? He is the original writer which of Poncho is Lefty. Crazy because that is one of my favorite Willie Nelson songs, mm-hmm. and I had no idea that it was not. We, we, we'll get to it a little bit later, but that's also one of the reasons why he started to gain a little more fame later in life. That song was recorded, I think, in 83. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of shot him up into more mainstream circles when he was when that song got covered by him, by Nelson and Merle Haggard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's a that's a big thing that happened to him. And there was another cover as well. I, I got it written down here. Um, so despite his critical acclaim. In, at the time, he remained a cult figure. He played small venues, often to crowds fewer than 50 people. Um, for much of the 70s, he lived a reclusive life outside uh, of Nashville in a tin roof, bareboard shack with no heat, plumbing, telephone, and he'd occasionally show up in town and play some shows. <laughs> uh, uh, during the 80s, uh, he began to reach a much wider audience and more acclaim when several of his songs were recorded by other artists, such as Emmalou Harris with Don Williams. Uh, they recorded the number three country hit. They re-recorded If I Needed You. Mm. And then, of course, Willie Nelson and Merle, Merle Hager taking Poncho and Lefty to number one in 1983. So this is interesting, too. This is something I found cool about him. This is a cool story. So during a chance encounter outside a costume shop in the South Congress District of Austin, and June 24th, 1986, Towns Van Zandt met Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan was reportedly a big fan of Towns and claimed he have, to have all of his records. Uh, Dylan later arranged another meeting with the songwriter. Uh, the drag in Austin, which is like their main little area, yeah, yeah. Uh, was shut down due to Dylan being in town. So Van Zant rolled up in his motorhome <laughs> to the cordoned off <laughs> area, after which Dylan came on and asked Towns uh, to play some songs for him. Wow. So following the meeting... Uh, Towns Van Zandt uh, turned down repeated invitations to write with Bob Dylan. What the fuck? He said he admired Dylan's songs but didn't care for his celebrity. Ah, <laughs> so uh, That's so weird. I wonder how that meeting sounded. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, this hey, is... can you write some songs for me? <laughs> and he's like, no, I, I like your songs, but not your fame. I'll pay you a lot of money. <laughs> he's like, no, I don't care for money. I'll give you a lot of free drinks. Uh, he, he would care for that, actually, uh, <laughs> which we'll get to shortly, <laughs> shortly after this. Uh, so his personal life was very tumultuous. Have you ever thought that Norm MacDonald and Bob Dylan kind of sound the a same? A little bit, yeah. Like, I just realized that Norm MacDonald sounds like talking Bob Dylan. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you took his song singing and made him talking and like if norm mcdonald was gargling uh like water he would sound like singing bob dylan ah, so, that's so true there you go there you go um so towns's personal life was a bit tumultuous um his first t- child jt was born in 69 with uh, his wife fran peterson they divorced the next year in 1970 nice um and then he began dating cindy morgan in 74 was she and- hot I don't know. Okay. I think she's in the film. I think she's okay looking. Um, Decent looking? It's tough to say. I bet she had a, you know, some of the 70s things going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the big old big old bush. Yeah, that's what I was alluding to. You know what? Exactly. I, I, love a, I love a thick bush. <laughs> they dated for most of the 70s, and they were married in uh, 78, but shortly after, they became estranged, <laughs> and they didn't see each other. Eventually, they divorced in <laughs> 1983 uh, after years with no contact. And then he married Janine Munsell in 83. Ooh. And they re- remained married until 1994, having two kids uh, during their time together, uh, which is William Vincent in 83 and Katie Bell in 1992. Um, Katie Bell. Despite them divorcing, Towns remained very devoted to Janine and his children. He ended up signing over all of his publishing rights to his music wow. during their separation in 94 and he just lived off of the revenue of performing concerts holy yeah. shit yeah and he was towards the end of his life which is very interesting for having you know even though he's from a rich family and kind of living a bare bones lifestyle not really having a use for money he talks about not really caring for money he was making over a hundred thousand dollars a year uh, on royalties for mostly poncho and lefty holy and shit if i needed you yeah so this is like in the 90s he was making that sort of money towards the towards the end of his life so this is a so he's dead Yes. So we'll get to that, too. So this is kind of the this is the thing that I left in a separate category. (laughs) We're going to talk about his addiction issues. Okay, I didn't want him to die. Yeah. Well, he was waiting around for it to happen. That's true. uh, He was addicted to heroin and alcohol throughout most of his life. Um, at times, he became drunk on stage and forget the lyrics to his songs. At one point, his heroin habit was so intense that he offered his manager, Kevin Eggers, the publishing rights to all of his songs on each of his first four albums for $20. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. At various points in his life, his friends saw him shoot up not just heroin, but also cocaine, vodka, as well as a mixture of rum and coke. Um, and at least on one occasion, he was caught shooting up in the presence of his son, uh, J.T., who was eight years old at the time. Ooh. Yeah. Um, as a result of his constant drinking, Harold Eggers, Kevin's brother, his manager's brother, was hired to be his full-time tour manager and 24-hour caretaker in 1976. Uh, a partnership that lasted the rest of the singer's life. Um, al- although the singer was, also Towns was like years older than, um, than Harold, um, Harold viewed Towns as his first child because he was basically taking care of him nonstop. Holy shit. Um, he was in rehab like over a dozen times between the 70s and the 80s. 
medical records from his from the recovery centers indicated that he believed his drinking had become a problem around 1973. His parents thought it was a problem around 1965. So it's a long history Ooh. of yeah heavy drinking. There was a big old eight years there where mm-hmm. the, he was not realizing how bad well, it was. By 82, he was drinking at least a pint of vodka daily. Wow. Mm-hmm. Doctors noted he admits to hearing voices, mostly musical voices. Uh, I mean, that's pretty cool, though. And the effect if you're of you're going to have voices in your head, they should be singing. The effect of alcohol they, they listed is kind of like anybody on alcohol, but he said the effect is a blunted uh, mood and he is sad. Um, judgment and insight is impaired. <laughs> and so it's very, like, you know, standard stuff for an alcoholic. Um, and throughout his life, he was like prescribed tons of antidepressives, Zoloft's and mood stabilizer, lithium. Um, the Did long- he shoot those up? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> the longest time he was sober in his adult life was for about a year in 1989 and 1990. Oh, shit. Um, so this is kind of getting now to the end of his life, which is sad. So in is on the 19th or the 20th December, 1996. Van Zant fell down a pair of, a set of concrete stairs outside of his home. Uh, badly injuring his hip. After lying outside for an hour, he dragged himself inside and called his ex-wife Janine, who sent friends Roy Ann and Jim Calvin to check him out. He told the couple that he had sustained the injury while getting out of bed and refused any medical treatment. They took him back to his their home, and he spent Christmas uh, week on their couch, and he was unable to get up or even use the bathroom. Jesus. His hip was so fucked up, yeah. Um, so he was scheduled to do an album, and he was so determined to do the album, Van Zant arrived at the Memphis studio being pushed in a wheelchair by Harold Eggers. The producer of that album was Steve Shelley of Sonic Youth. He kind of like sat out, sought out towns to do this album. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of a big thing for him personally because he was a big fan of him. Um, he ended up canceling the sessions because he was so drunk and he was acting so erratically. Um, after that, he finally agreed to go to the hospital. Um, but not before he returned to Nashville. <laughs> he Jesus. had to go to Nashville first. So by the time he received medical care, eight days after he hurt his hip, um, on December 31st, X-rays revealed that Van Zandt had impacted left femoral neck fracture in his hip, and several and, and several corrective surgeries were going to have to be performed. Um, Janine Im- informed the surgeon that one of Town's uh, previous rehab doctors had, had told him uh, that detoxing could kill him. Uh, so the medical staff tried to explain to her um, that, you know, a late term alcoholic, you can't detox them at home. You know, it'd be ill advised and he would have a better chance of recovering um, at the hospital. Yeah. Uh, understanding. So but she didn't um, she did not heed the warnings. And she decided after the surgery, she checked towns out of the hospital, um, understanding that he would probably drink right away after leaving the hospital. They didn't give him any pain medication. Um, which he actually, as soon as he got out of the hospital, they got in the car and she gave him fucking vodka. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. So by the time he Come checked, on, Janine. By the time he checked out of the hospital early next morning, he began to show delirium tremors. Janine rushed into the car where she gave him a flask of vodka to ward off the withdrawal delirium. She later re- reported after getting him back home in Smyrna, Tennessee, she gave him more alcohol and he became lucid and, be, and had a real good mood and he was chatting up his friends on the phone. Uh, Jim Calvin came over. They smoked a joint together, um, and he was given about four Tylenol PMs to <laughs> fight his pain. Um, later on that, that the next day, Janine was on the phone, and her son Will noticed that Towns had stopped breathing and looked dead, and alerted his mother, who who attempted to perform CPR on him. 
between the breaths. Uh, she was yelling his name. Imagine how traumatic that was for the poor kid. <laughs> Fucking no kidding. Yeah. Um, so she attempted to do CPR. Unfortunately, Towns Van Zandt died in the early morning of New Year's Day, 1997, at the age of 52. Jesus. His official cause of death was a natural cardiac arrhythmia. Um, there was two services held, one in Texas for family and uh, another large Nashville uh, service attended by friends, acquaintances, and some fans. Some of his ashes were placed underneath a headstone in the Van Zant family plot in Dito Cemetery in Dito, Texas, near Fort Worth. Um, after his death, this is kind of the sad part, which also adds to a little bit of a, of a sad life, I guess, of wasted potential. But after his death, there was a long legal battle regarding his publishing rights between the former manager and his, the label owner of Poppy Records and then Tomato Records, who recorded all this music on, Kevin Eggers. Um, after he, he didn't work with Celery Records, too. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. <laughs> after he died, Kevin released 14 albums of new and old material without the estate's permission, Oof. claiming he had owned 50% ownership of over 80 songs um, from the recording studio. Eventually, the court sided with the estate after 10 years of legal battles. Holy shit. Yeah. Did they get back pay for that? I'm assuming so. It yeah, didn't yeah. really say, but... Um, so that's kind of the, the, the whole footnotes of his life basically fucking hell yeah so it's kind of depressing how long his life was it kind of makes sense he makes depressing music you know what's crazy is like it sounds a lot the exact same as chet baker yeah like the, the exact same sort of like musical brilliance but like cannot like no no willingness to get well, off of the sauce. whatever that thing was he had he could never get over it yeah he could never get over it and like we kind of alluded at before but he's been uh in the grand scheme of singer songwriters and music, he's one of the, you know, he's been cited as in- influential for Bob Dylan. Yeah. For all sorts of big, big bands over time. Lots of small country artists as well. I will say this though. It is nice that he passed in 97 because he missed nine 11. It's true. He didn't have to live through that. <laughs> I don't think he'd give a fuck. I never forget. <laughs> I don't think he would really care. Uh, <laughs> He would have forgot. Yeah, probably. He had, he, had, he had memory loss issues, so he definitely would have forgot. You know? <laughs> he really would. He'd be like, oh, I'm supposed to go to that Jackson 5 reunion concert. <laughs> What's that all about? <laughs> like, nobody's here. <laughs> so notable tracks and singles on this album. Uh, I'll Be Here in the Morning, Waiting Around to Die, Lungs, Colorado Girl, Fare Thee Well, Miss Carousel, and Ooh. None But the Rain. Um, now the reception on this album, which is kind of interesting because it didn't sell very much. That uh, makes sense. 69. Uh, it makes sense. So the Kevin Egger is the manager is really trustworthy source, uh, says that it was ranging the sales range from like 50 to a hundred albums a week when it first released. It's got good reviews though. I think they're more in hindsight now. Most of yeah. the reviews, it was hard to find a lot of information. A lot in retrospect. Yeah. So yeah. all music gave it a four out of five. Uh, it was an 8.5 out of 10 on aphoristic album reviews and pitchfork named it number one seventy six of the 200 best albums of the 1960s. Wow. Uh, which is, which is cool. Now we got a little bit about the culture at the time, which is always fun. We know, we don't and, always and do the other this. albums in the sixties that were on the top of that <laughs> list were all Beatles albums, Jimi Hendrix, Janis yeah. Joplin, Leonard Rolling Cohen, Stones. Yeah. Rolling Stones. Yeah. And Jefferson Airplane had one in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is the, I mean, this is a big year. 69 is a big year. Yep. Uh, you wrote 1969, baby. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah, it was a big year. It was a big year. So I did some footnotes. We had Woodstock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Woodstock. In there. That, the uh, moon landing. Moon landing. 
Let me just read off the list I made. Okay. So, 69, <laughs> the U.S. Uh, there's a couple footnotes of the year. The U.S. instituted the draft lottery oh, for yep. the Vietnam War. Uh, the moon landing, like I said. Uh, the Beatles played their last live performance on top of the Apple building. Uh, and then there was the... Have you seen the Let It Be documentary yet? Yes, I uh, have. I yeah. haven't. I really want to. It's good. It's good? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's really? pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's a cool little thing. I uh, I, I knew one of the Tommies from that. <laughs> Shut the fuck up! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Woodstock, like you mentioned, there was uh, 500,000 people went to Woodstock, 35 performers. PBS was started. Oh! The Summer of Love. The public of broadcasting system. Uh, Charles Manson <laughs> murdered five people. <laughs> Uh, August Rest 9th. in peace, Charles. Sesame Street debuts. Ooh. <laughs> uh, uh, Tricky, tr- Tricky Dick was uh, inaugurated as the 37th president of the United States. Uh, Pierre Trudeau is the prime minister of Canada. Oh, God. Uh, there was 250,000 people went to protest the march on Washington against the Vietnam War. Um, and then I wrote a little couple things just because inflation's a hot topic nowadays. Yeah. So the average cost of a house was fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> uh, the average income of a <laughs> income during of it per year was eight thousand five hundred. The average monthly rent was one hundred and thirty five bucks. The average cost of a new car was thirty two seventy, which would have been great for you, Sam. Yeah. Uh, fuck. Cost of a gallon of gasoline was thirty five cents. Oh. God bless. Oh. Fuck. You know how much that hurts to hear all of that? Yeah. I mean, the only thing that doesn't hurt is the salary for the year. Yeah, but I mean, in hindsight, like, if you could buy a house with, like, look at, if you're, if an average Basically, cost, to your salary, you Average cost of a new house is, you know, 15000 yeah. bucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're getting paid eighty five a year. Yeah. That's pretty fucking mint. You, can, you pay off your house in, you know, just say five years instead <laughs> of having a, you know, 30-year mortgage. Yeah. 4.5%. Yeah, no. Um, certainly, it was, a, it was a nice time to be alive. Jesus tits. Yeah, you could just spend three years in Nam and you could have a house. <laughs> it's like, worth it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. okay, actually, this is a weird thing. Did you hear about the fucking tunnel rats? No. Okay, so in in, in Nam, uh, because, Nam. like, the uh, uh, the Vietnamese started to figure out that, like, they couldn't fight, like, above ground, like, and they couldn't have bases above ground, mm-hmm. so they would build these tunnels, and they would be these massive cave systems underground. Okay, yeah, I knew about the tunnels. Yeah, and so they'd, like, have to, like, crawl through them, right? But then you'd get through, and there'd be, like, a room like this size mm-hmm. uh, that was underground. So the the Australians and the Americans started specifically picking people that were under like five three and like really skinny to uh, be tunnel rats. Mm. And the stories that they have are fucking insane because they uh, after a while the Vietnamese started booby trapping the tunnels. So you'd be like crawling through, and all of a sudden you'd fall into a, like a pit of fucking venomous snakes, mm. or like uh, you know, they, like they they didn't have lights on, so they'd see a flashlight and they'd just shoot down the fucking. See, like by the sounds of it, like Vietnam was kind of like an Indiana Jones movie. It was. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you gotta dodge this boulder and avoid this booby trap and jump over the snakes. Why's it always gotta be snakes? Why's yeah. it always gotta be snakes? And also uh, Nazis. Yeah. Yeah, well, there was no Nazis in Vietnam, but... Wasn't there? No. I thought there was. No. They're yeah. the ones landing the moon rocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That's if the moon landing even happened. That's true. I don't know. I'm pretty sure Stanley Kubrick did that. 
I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, I do like 2001. It was pretty realistic. It, it was. Yeah, yeah. I think he faked the moon landing. I cannot let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways, let's get into the criticisms of this album. Spencer didn't write anything, so I'll I'll talk for the for <laughs> I the didn't both. write anything because I didn't want to look at the, the sheet yet. This criticism is i got to listen to it more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, honestly, my criticism was that because I listened to it four times this week. My, my criticism is it can't be an all-the-time listen uh, yeah. because – it bums you out. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Honestly, I was I was listening to it like this week before going to set, and I was just like, "This is weird" because it's not putting me in a great mood before. No, it's you know? it's it's a certainly an album. Like I have a rainy day playlist, and I got a couple songs off this album on it. Like if you're in a bummed out mood. It's a good one to like sit in your shit and yeah. <laughs> listen to it. I will say though, I'll be there in the morning is is like yeah. a pretty happy song. Yeah. Oh yeah. That one's not a bad song. Colorado Girl is not is not that sad either. Yeah. Um, going back to Denver. <laughs> 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 I mean. I've never been to Denver, but <laughs> I don't know. Well, you've been in Calgary, and that's yeah. basically Denver. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Denver North. <laughs> Denver North. <laughs> Denver North. Um, but yeah, I'd say it can't be an all the time listen. Yeah. Uh, just because it is a little bit of a bummer sometimes, especially a couple of tracks can kind of get you down in the dumps. I would also say m- melodically, it's very similar throughout. Like it's it's almost the it's almost the same. Uh, like it, like each song does sound very similar yeah. in its structure, so it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to to tell until he starts singing what song you're listening mm-hmm. to sometimes. Yeah, I like I mean personally, I listened to this album and kind of listened to his music mostly when I was like really depressed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this would have been like four years ago. I was really in the dumps, and yeah, I listened to a lot of this this style of music. Um, a bit of Tom Waits too, Ooh. really keep me in the dumps. Yeah, not like the newer Tom Waits, like the older Tom Waits, like the older one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not like the the super weird Tom Waits <laughs> stuff, but the older Tom Waits stuff. Um, but yeah, this sort of that sort of mood. So like, I don't know if you find a time to listen to it where you're really sad and and the bl- got the blues, it might be a good listen for you. But you can't listen to it all the time. Like even putting it in the rotation was just like, uh, I'm gonna feel sad like when it comes on. So yeah, I was also really depressing. I was in traffic. On Deerfoot, and I was listening to Waiting Around to Die. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it kind of feels that way. Uh, fucking bumper to bumper traffic for, you know, like fucking 40 minutes. I'm glad you're rubbing your beard like that. It I makes know. me really comfortable. It makes me feel um, good. So I guess we could, we kind of <laughs> talked a lot about his life, and we'll, we could talk more about the music itself when we get into the rating and the review of the album. Yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> dude, those were like Spencer's falling apart parts. right now. <laughs> uh, so every week on Misfits on Vinyl, I'm doing Spencer's role. Uh, we we rate and review an album on multiple different categories. So we start with technical, musical, lyrics, album art, uh, reception, and does it hold up? Um, and then we give it a final score out of ten. Out of ten. Um, so we'll start with the technical element. I mean, you can't really personally, I think you can't give it that high of a no. technical because it's very simplistic production. I mean, that also kind of goes for the the music element as well. Um, it's not that it's bad. It's just very stripped down, bare bones. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, it was recorded in a barn. Yeah. You know? Like it's not. And, and, and it, it does have like a very nice sound to it, but mm-hmm. it is very still yeah, stripped to, down. To, to be clear, the barn was a, a, a studio in a barn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it's not like the... I thought there was cows around. Yeah. I thought there was a fucking goat. <laughs> yeah. He's got a fucking couple of chickens in the studio with him. Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, sounds like how he was living his regular life. Yeah, his yeah. regular life. Every day he was just getting up right well, beside well, the cow. One thing I thought interesting too, and he had a wolf dog. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is also cool. He had a dog that was fucking half wolf um, <laughs> that he'd hang around with. In that the 70s. thing was not fed properly. No, I no probably not. It was Neither like, were his kids. Probably. probably just gave it fucking like cans of bees. <laughs> like, well, actually, like I said, one thing he did do well is, I mean, he handed out most of his finances over to his ex-wife to take care of their children. That's true. Um, but it was his most recent ex-wife. Yes. Which is it's it's kind of the 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 uh, the Julian Lennon yeah. complex, you know. Yeah. JT, I think, definitely got the rough end of the stick. Yeah. Um, what yeah. a fucking shit shit end that is. Yeah, he definitely got the rough end of the stick. But he was kind of... One thing, too, I guess, is we didn't really mention, but he was hanging around with the in the Austin area and hanging around with a lot of other of those crew in the start of, like, South by Southwest and stuff like that. So he was hanging around a lot with, like, Blaze Foley and a couple other of these cult-like singer-songwriters. Um, he was actually inducted into the South by Southwest Hall of Fame. Oh, it would cool. have been in 2012, I think, or 2013. Um, so he was really big in that Texas scene at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is before Austin was Austin. Uh, so <laughs> it was, you know, actually had a bit of country flair, and it wasn't just a bunch of people from L.A. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he it did. had culture. Yeah, <laughs> culture exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, now it's just L.A., Texas. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, thanks to that one person that made that happen. <laughs> that rhymes with Mo Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So, anyways, uh, we'll get to the review here. So, technical. Technical. I'd probably give it a four out of ten. I'll go five. So go we'll five, do four and a half. Four and a half. Yeah. Uh, musical. I'd go a little higher. I'd go like. I'd go six and a half, probably, or a seven. Yeah, so I think musical is worth a bit more because of the finger-picking style of guitar playing, yeah. which ended up influencing a lot of bands later on, like the Shaky Graves mm-hmm. uh, call direct influence to Towns Van Zandt's style of guitar playing. Um, even the Kings of Leon have uh, Caleb Falwell from the Kings of Leon, the lead singer. He has referenced TVZ as one of their, his inspirations for not just guitar playing, but also songwriting. Mm-hmm. So a big kind of reach of um, people that, that are influenced by his music um, and by his specifically his finger picking style of guitar. So I'm going to go, what'd you give it? I gave it uh, uh, like a six or a seven. So six and a half. Six and a half. Okay, I'll give it a 7.5. 7.5? Yeah, just because he also did a ton of it himself. So he's seven, so we're at like 5.75 right now. Okay, now this is the one where I think we go high on his lyrics. The lyrics. Yeah, Um, I would give it like a nine. Yeah, I mean, he's a poignant lyricist, and he's up there. I mean, one of the quotes that kind of haunted him for a good chunk of his life was that, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's also a singer, and it was kind of, TVZ was kind of his mentor for a little bit. He was like, oh, Towns Van Zandt is the best songwriter of all time. Like he, he, you know, he stands on a table above Bob Dylan and all this stuff. And they actually, on one of his later albums. Well, album, I mean, Bob Dylan's pretty shorty. I don't think he has to stand on a yeah, table. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but one of his later albums, they directly printed uh, the quote right on the front of the album. And Ooh. Towns Van Zandt was mortified by it. And the, the guy that said the quote ended up backpedaling, be like, you know, I'm not saying he's better than Bob Dylan, but he's certainly up there. He had to, like, backpedal. Oh, God. Because Towns Van Zandt was so embarrassed, and then fucking Tomato Records plastered it on his 87 album. Yeah, which is pretty embarrassing. That was pretty catch-up of him. Yeah. Thanks. joke didn't really work (laughs) yeah yeah, i appreciate it so you're giving it a nine i'm going 10 on lyrics 10 i mean some of the some of the lyrics itself like even just on waiting around to die is just like really um poignant stuff i mean he's a he's a poet and he writes you know 
really incredible music. He paints a picture. Um, same with I'll be there in the morning. I mean, he paints a picture about, you know, just comforting this girl that he's going to be there the next day. Yeah. You know, she's crying, she's worried. And he, you know, he, he's a really, really great storyteller and, and a songwriter. So, so I'd say, I'd say, yeah. So then we're at 9.5 with it. Yeah. And so then 5.5, this is 5, 5.5, 9.5. So then we got to go, uh, it goes to 7.5, 7.5 and then album art. Album art. So this one is tough. To, I can't say you can give it a huge rating because it's just a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly think it kind of sets the mood to the album. It matches the album. Um, you and, know. It, and it looks pretty depressing. Yeah. I mean, he's sitting in his hand. His hand it's just an like a wide table. Um, and that, the house, like they said in the quote, is definitely really put together. And it kind of is a direct opposite of him <laughs> you're struggling <laughs> here. you're struggling here uh i'll go a seven on the album art i think it suits it but it's not anything like you know it's a it's of the time it's yeah. a picture of the artist I'd, I'd give it a seven as well so we're at like we're at a seven now so now the reception now this one might be a little difficult to rate because it wasn't really received uh at first and commercially now, it wasn't and now critically in, it was kind of yeah. until later on in his life like i said his life kind of changed in the 80s when he got all those covers done um, by those other artists. And that kind of set him up for the rest of his life and then set up this cult status for him um, going forward. Like there was a small fan club for him um, in the eighties. Well, in the seventies that was started and like, you know, people would write him letters and it would be like, Oh, like, you know, you understand depression and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. I can't say he had like a, a big, big following back then. So, I mean, it's tough to give it a big reception. I mean, now you can. Um, so we kind of got to maybe meet halfway on it. Yeah, I feel like I feel like because at the time, like commercially, it didn't do mm-hmm. amazing. But I mean, at the same time, you look at it on Spotify now and like you see that it's got like 100 million streams, you know, like yeah. the, those songs are very popular now. <laughs> Um, so I would, I would probably go like right down the middle at like a five. Mm. See, I'll go, I'll go, a, I'll go a seven just for legacy purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just because he wasn't a small independent artist back then, um, you know, he didn't have the means of today where kind of once the internet came around and streaming, he's picked up all the traction that, yeah. you know, to say if he released this sort of music now, like a Coulter wall or something like that, yeah, yeah. he would probably gain the same sort of traction and, you know, become a mainstay in singer songwriter country. Yeah. So I'll give him a seven on that. Okay. So I, I, okay. Because of your reasoning, I'd actually bump it up to a six so that we're at like, we're at 6.75 all around across yeah. the board. Uh, does it hold up? Yeah. I think it holds up. I mean, it doesn't feel particularly, like, dated as Mm -hmm. the style of music. Um, Certainly they don't make – not this isn't mainstream country music anymore. Not really even mainstream folk or indie music anymore. Even then it wasn't really mainstream country music. No, I mean, the style of Americana is still around, but it certainly wasn't as popular as it was in the 60s into the 70s. Um, I certainly think it does hold up. I I think you could listen to this and – you know, even his style of singing, it's its old school, but it, his voice has got a little bit of a modern tinge to mm-hmm. it. He still has that country twang to it as well. Yeah. But it's not like the country of the, the 50s or even the you know early 60s. It's completely different. It, it is very unique in that sense. It does, like you said, it does kind of compare a little bit to Johnny Cash um, in a sense. I, I agree with that, that they're not, they're not, they're both not 
you know, fantastic singers, mm-hmm. but that's not where the content comes from. That's not where the, you know, that's not what you're going for. Well, and also a lot of musicians back then, it wasn't necessarily that they were fantastic singers. It no. was that like their, their presentation of said song had emotion to mm-hmm. it, you know? Um, yeah. So overall, I think we'd have to go with like a seven out of 10. Yeah, I can agree with a seven out of 10. And I, I, I personally, like I would probably, um, if we weren't doing this criteria, I would rate it higher for myself personally. Mm-hmm. And then within his catalog, I would rate it very, very high. Like if it, if we weren't following like the way we break it down and we do this total score, like I would personally give it more of an eight and a half to a nine. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just in my opinion. Um, but I know we have to average it out on all these different categories. Yeah, and yeah. It does kind of, you know, skew the score a little bit, but I, I can live with a seven, I, I guess. Yeah. I guess. You guess? <laughs> is, this the, is this our lowest rated album? No, no, no. We we have we have a few that are lower. Yeah. Um uh fucking uh what was a 6 out of 10? There was uh one of them was a 6 out of 10, CKY. I know that. Uh, no, cuz we didn't rate those ones. No, we just that's right. we, those were episodes. Uh it might have been Oh shit. I don't know. No, but I would I personally personally I would lean more towards a higher score. Mm-hmm. Um just because there's a, you know, there's also the aspect that I related to this album quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um and listened to it quite frequently like 4 or 5 years ago. All right, let's do 7 and a half out of 10. Ah, that just makes my willy nice and hard. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, uh this has been Misfits on Vinyl. Uh <laughs> All right, one thing I have to plug before yes. we go. Uh, uh, this Wednesday at the Tea House, uh, doing the fundraiser show for Sandy Cooper Black. Mm-hmm. We're almost sold out. We still got a few tickets left, so please come on out. We're hoping to get 750 bucks raised. Um, uh, I think I've talked about it enough, but yeah, Sandy Cooper Black got in an accident. Uh, he's now paralyzed from the waist down, and we're trying to raise money so that he can uh, you know, have the, the uh, ability to stay in the long-term spinal care facility uh, and also it takes the financial strain off his family, everything else like that, uh, help with getting, you know, their house wheelchair accessible, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, so please come on out. It would mean a lot to me. Uh, like I said, we're almost sold out. So I really, so 7 PM, 7 PM, yeah. uh, tickets for 15 bucks, uh, and, uh, amazing lineup. we got Dale Ward, Lori Gibbs, Leah Scheitel, uh, Amol Surrey, Cowboy Cole Robertson, Mark McHugh, and Gabby Rose. So is, it's, is Siobhan on that as well? Uh, I don't know yet, because okay. if she's able to get back into the city in time, she'll be on it. But nice. if not, then she won't. <laughs> well, if you, if you need any more incentive after that awesome lineup, me and, I don't know, Sam, are you going to be there? Me and Sam, Sam the Tech Man are going to be Sam there. Sam the Tech Man and Aaron uh, are going to be you there. You guys can meet your heroes. Yeah, you can meet uh, your heroes. <laughs> well, Spencer raises money for a great cause. Yeah. so I actually might have uh, you guys bring me up at the start of the show instead of having one of the comics do it. Oh, that'd yeah, be fun. That'd be fun. I could do that for that'd you. That'd be fun. That um, would be a nice little Misfits on Vinyl crossover <laughs> with the real world. <laughs> anyways, anyways, guys, uh, appreciate you. Um, love you lots. Love and... you. Anal contusions. Thank you for listening to this episode of Misfits on Vinyl, hosted by Spencer Streichert and me, Aaron Walsh, and of course, produced by Sam Sam the Tech Man, Sam Lindsay. If you like us, please rate us, subscribe to us, share us. Our socials are Misfits on Vinyl Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to send us an email with any suggestions or criticisms, uh, we love that shit, so send it away. It's misfitsonvinyl at gmail.com. We love you guys. Thank you.